You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. A science story, huh? And I just thought, well, I figured it, out. I it was that golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hey everyone, I'm Ben Lilly, and welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true stories of how science has affected people's lives. This week's story is from Andrew Revkin. The story was recorded in March 2013 at Union Hall in Brooklyn. The theme of the event was brain awareness. So when I was a kid, I wanted to be a scientist, but then uh, actually a marine biologist, and actually at one point briefly an MD, but then um, I learned later from my sister-in-law, much later, she, she teaches learning disabled kids, and she said, you're way too ADHD to get a PhD. You never were going to do that. So I became a journalist, and I ended up writing about all this stuff. But the one thing you learn is, well, one thing I learned as an ADHD journalist and now blogger, which is even worse, meaning I'm thinking, basically I'm thinking about everything all the time. And uh, the one thing I, though, I don't think about almost all the time is the thing I think with, my brain. And that's kind of why I like the idea of brain awareness day, week, month, year. And, but I had this moment a year and a half ago when my brain kind of forced me to think about it. And I'm going to tell you about this little experience, which is interesting. Um, it was July, it was the first day of July, beautiful day, um, 4th of July weekend, Friday. And I was uh, running with my son, my, this is my older son, who had recently spent time in the Israeli army. So he's a rugged young man. He was about 20 years old at that time. And I'm not a rugged middle-aged man. I was a 50-something person who was not even a lapsed exercise person. I just never really have exercised enthusiastically. So, but this was a moment for us to bond. We live in the Hudson Valley. Uh, there's a trail near my house, my house called the, the, the Chimney Trail. It goes up this wonderful wooded path to this open space on the top, and you can basically see forever. You see the Storm King Mountain and everything. And so we were going to run up, run up this trail that I normally walk up. And again, I had this young 20-year-old personal trainer saying, come on, Dad, you can do it. And, and I, you don't want to disappoint, right? So, so we're going th up through the woods, beautiful mottled kind of light, the light you get in deep woods, shafts of sunlight and stuff, and we're running and running. And I'm getting more and more uh, winded, <laughs> not surprised. And um, there's, a, there's this real steep moment, a turn in the trail, where, where I, I just had to stop. I said, Daniel, wait a minute, I've got to catch my breath. And I was kind of like this. And, and he's like, no, no, come on, Dad, come on, Dad. You know, and again, it's your son. He, I haven't seen him in a couple of years. Uh, and uh, so go, 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 OK. And now I'm really feeling it, though. So I kind of finally say, Daniel, you know what? You're going to have to finish this on your own. You get to the top, come back down, and meet me. And, We'll go down. So he did, and, it was, and he got the beautiful view. And we're, then we're going down through the woods, and I start to realize something is really strange. And what's strange is that my left eye is insisting that the world is paisley. Paisley, like looking through a curtain, but only with one eye. And, it, like, and, and I kind of sort of blink, try to blink it away, thinking, well, it's just the light in the forest. You know, it's kind of mottled. And uh, so we're going down the trail, and, and, I, and I test this, you know, squinting, and, and it's still weird. And, we get down to the car, we're out of the woods now, and I realize 
I'm a quarter blind. This one eye is half blind in kind of a patterned way. And I said, Daniel, I think something's really wrong here. Why don't you drive the car when we go back to the house? And my first thing, uh, first reaction was to take a shower, try to cool down. Maybe it was just overheated. So I do that. And um, my second thought, and this was almost unconscious, I kind of was thinking, so, you know, I've been writing about science for decades, so I know stuff, a little bit of stuff, <laughs> including about the brain. And, and I'm thinking, could this be a stroke? And, and, but most of my brain was saying, well, maybe not. But then as I was, I, 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 reached, into, I reached into the cabinet, I got uh, my baby aspirin. I'm one of those 50-plus-year-old people who take a baby aspirin a day for the rest of your life, whatever, it's, because the New England Journal of Medicine or whatever says it's good. And, but this time I took six. I took five or six baby aspirin. <laughs> well, you know, I knew that it's an anti-clotting thing. I knew maybe this was a strokey thing, and I thought, well, maybe I should take aspirin. And so I took, I took a, half, a half dozen baby aspirin, which is maybe well, 80 times five, a little more than maybe like two adult aspirin, not quite. And then I called my doctor's, doctor's office. I should have done that in reverse order, maybe. <laughs> But they said, they, you know, it was Fourth of July weekend. They said, just you should go to the emergency room. This is weird. So I go to the emergency room. Triage time. I'm sure many of you have been through triage in an ER for something. I have many, a couple times. And so this time, though, it was like triage in super slow-mo. It's like those super slow-mo YouTube videos that my 14-year-old son likes to watch, where there's this guy. Um, he, it's, like, it's like jumping. They'll jump onto a giant water balloon that takes a minute to pop because it's all in super slow-mo. Go on YouTube, it's really cool. But I thought my, my, my life was essentially super slow-mo at this point. It was like everything. They were doing their tests. They were you know, putting me through this. Uh, they gave me a CAT scan. The CAT scan said I don't have a stroke, so I hadn't had a stroke, which is really cool. And, um, but something was still wrong. You know, The eye was still this. And, and the nurse gave me an eye test. I'm looking at the chart across the wall about like this. And, and I could see the letters, and she's going like this, and, and then I realized when I was using my left eye, I couldn't see her hand. So I can see the letters pretty badly, astigmatism, but I could not see the woman's hand pointing at the line of letters. I said, this is really weird. So they were about to discharge me, because remember, no stroke, my vital signs were okay. And they said, maybe it was just heat stroke, or heat stroke. <laughs> uh, but then I said, well, you know, I, I suggested another intervention. <laughs> uh, I said, you know, my, my GP told me uh, earlier, like six months earlier, that it was about time in your mid-50s to get your carotids to do carotid ultrasound of your carotid arteries. Because just to be sure, he's one of those very precautionary, over-testy doctors. So I mentioned this to the, the ER people, and they were like, well, I, I don't know. So then I said, well, call my eye doctor, because I had an ophthalmologist and, who was in. And, and he said, yeah, you should do it. So, so they said, all right, all right. So this nurse gets out the little, I mean, an uh, ultrasound technician comes over, and you know, she's doing the thing with the gel, like, you know, just check your, for your baby. But they were doing it on my neck. And, uh, and she's, then this is the second really weird thing that happens. So she's like this, looking, looking, looking at the screen. She calls over someone else. They're looking at the screen. And, and I'm realizing, she, she's saying, you know, I can't find his carotid artery. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> and it turned out. And then, it's, and then they said, you have no flow in your left internal carotid artery. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. How could I be consciously actually talking to you sitting here and I've got no flow in my carotid artery? Because everything I learned in movies is, you know, when they cut your neck or something, you know, you, if you don't have flow in that blood flow there. But then part of my science writer brain was saying, yeah, no, that's right, there's collateral circulation, right? Blood can go like this, so you don't go unconscious if part of your body gets injured. So, so finally, though, they realized this was, a, this was actually something going on. So they shipped me to another hospital. 
This is a Hudson Valley Hospital Center. I don't care, I'm gonna say the name. They, and they're listed as a New York State Stroke Center, okay? So, but there was nothing in my experience there that said that that was a justified thing. <laughs> so finally, my wife had caught up with me at this point, and so we had a little ambulance Prius parade from uh, Hudson, Valley, <laughs> Hudson Valley Hospital Center to a big regional Westchester County Medical Center. And now finally they're getting a little bit more focused, you know, this, they, uh, I mean, I've got the tubes going in my arm and, and now I'm admitted and, and they, they do some more tests, but there's still, you know, there's no stroke. They, they did their own CAT scan, more interventions. And, um, and, then, uh, and I, then I had to spend a night in the hospital. Basically they put me on heparin, which is like aspirin plus, um, <laughs> but not quite Coumadin, that would come in a couple of minutes. Uh, so then, so I'm in the hospital, and I'm, this is my first experience in a neuro ward at a hospital, and it's, um, it's not like, it's just an experience like going to hell, it, or at least it's like, it's like, I don't know, maybe some of you maybe work in a neuro ward at a hospital, but it was like opening a very dark door, uh, and again, a door that I luckily was able to skirt in the end, but I, um, and there was um, the guy in the bed next to me alternated every five minutes between saying he had a, a fatal uh, aneurysm and was going to die, and then saying he needed to call his agent because he had to get back to the set of Boardwalk Empire. <laughs> He's an a he was an actor, and he definitely, I, I tried later to remember, I never wrote down his name, I was gonna look him up, I don't even know if he's alive or dead. I, 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 I don't know which part of his story was more accurate, but, but all I knew, but all I knew was this, this was a disturbing thing. And I'm in, you know, I'm in a room with a guy who's either dying or not, uh, going, or an actor. And then down the, but then late that night, it was really the haunting part comes late at night on these wards when there was some older woman down a hallway somewhere howling inconsolably through the night in a way that they just couldn't deal with. And I'm just feeling, oh my God, you know, this is really bad. And then I finally fell asleep. And remember, I hadn't had a stroke, so uh, there was that, it was the good part. But I woke up and I had had a stroke. Sometime that night, uh, a, a clot that had formed in the carotid dissection that had happened in that artery had gone through you know, the various circulatory uh, passages and uh, gone to the uh, place, the, the circulation that goes to the corona radiata, which uh, is sort of a connecting part of the brain. And so I woke up that morning with like, uh, whoa, this isn't working. <laughs> That's interesting. And of course, I'm a writer, and in my spare moments, I'm a guitar player. So that was disturbing. And then I had uh, various uh, sundry other issues, but nothing, you know, it wasn't like I couldn't talk or couldn't walk, and I couldn't walk easily, but, but I, I'd had a stroke. And, and, and later, it, of course, then that meant I really had to spend time in the hospital. So I was there for about a week, because now I shifted to hep from heparin to Coumadin, which is rat poison-ish. Is it right? I think so. <laughs> and, uh, but they have to kind of stabilize your levels and everyone is different and you can't eat kale anymore and stuff like that. <laughs> and so uh, in the hospital, so remember, I'm a kind of, I think all the time, right? So I don't feel, I think, when something weird is happening. And so, of course, what do I do? I'm sitting there in the hospital, I start blogging. If you, if you search for stroke and, and Revkin, you'll find my blog post, which is kind of a live blog of my stroke <laughs> aftermath. <laughs> typed like this uh, as much as I could and uh, it included some very, very interesting things you know I, again as I said I don't think about the brain I don't think about the thing I'm thinking with most of the time I think about everything else but now I was focused and now I learned a lot of things about stroke that are really disturbing I learned of course how many it's like 800,000 strokes a year 130,000 deaths a year uh, the biggest source of disability in this country this is the technical stuff that I was learning and telling people in my 
on dot earth, which is normally about sustaining the planet, but for that day, that blog became about sustaining myself because you can't sustain the planet if you're not sustaining your own life and health. So I, I kind of dug through that stuff, and I, I, wrote, I wrote about telemedicine, which is that a really good neurologist could have been in that hospital or any other emergency room, including on an Indian reservation in, in Arizona, through this technology called tele telemedicine. There's actually a subset called telestroke. And, and I interviewed a guy soon after I was out of the hospital who's an expert in these systems. It's like he, a doctor can be on his iPad and diagnosing a stroke um, and uh, telling people to administer um, the clot-busting drug a thousand miles away. Theoretically, it doesn't happen because of all these problems with our healthcare system, but this is not an educational forum, so I'm just going to return to my story. You can, <laughs> there's a lot to say there. Let's put it that way. So I learned, so, so I learned a lot about the this, this stuff, this, these issues. I learned a lot about my circulation, about carotid dissections, and which can come from yoga, painting ceilings, uh, chiropractic manipulation of your neck, uh, car accident, of course, anything that jars your, your, your neck in certain interesting ways. Oh, tipping your head back at the beauty parlor <laughs> for that nice, comfortable shampoo can, get, can, can create this. Uh, what happens is the lining of your vessel comes, comes clear and blocks the vessel just long enough for clots to form. So I learned about all that stuff, and uh, I scared my wife, who's just got certified in yoga training. <laughs> but it's important. It's important for, for yoga trainers to know this stuff. And to be honest about it, and then and then I, I had vows. I vowed I was gonna, you know, get more fit in a more controlled way than running with my Israeli army son up the hill, and 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 I was gonna actually. I thought, I, you know, now is the time. Finally, in my life, I could relearn guitar the real way. I'd always been always played it in an ad hoc way. I've gotten pretty good, but but I've never really done scales and stuff like that. So I started doing scales, and I thought, you know, I really was gonna get my life in order. And then, and then, of course, I just became me again. And one of, the, one of the biggest lessons of my stroke was not those things, but that, I mean, to some extent, you are who you are. And getting comfortable with that is just part of, and then finding how to, how, how, how to sustain that with, you know, in the face of uh, risks of this kind is, is important. And then there's one last detail that's important to close with, which is aspirin. So I thought, you know, after this all happened, after this all played out, and I recuperated, and you know, I, I can play guitar again. You go on my blog, and you'll see the song I, I just wrote last fall. And, and so, so everything's kind of back in order. But, and I felt kind of smug because I remember I took those six aspirin, and I, and everything I heard was that probably that did help make it a much less severe stroke than it might otherwise have been. And and so I had that smugness that comes with knowing you did the right thing at the right time. And then, of course, when I was doing some of this post-game learning, I learned that um, about 15% of strokes are not from a clot, but are from uh, hemorrhaging in the brain. And if you take aspirin, when you're bleeding, you die. So in fact, just this weekend, I was at, at, a, at a restaurant with some people, and someone, her ex-husband, actually had that just but, but in the end, so smugness is something to try to do away with uh, when you're confronting these kinds of issues. And that's the story of my lucky stroke. Thank you. That was Andrew Revkin. Andrew is the Senior Fellow for Environmental Understanding at Pace University's Academy for Applied Environmental Studies and writes the award-winning Dot Earth blog for the op-ed side of the New York Times. He lives in the Hudson River Valley with his wife and two sons. In spare moments, he is a performing songwriter and plays in a twangy roots jam band 
Breakneck Ridge. For more science stories, take a look at storycollider.org, where we have our archives of the podcast and upcoming events. We depend on you for our continued support. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider donating at storycollider.org slash donate. The Story Collider is produced by me, Brian Weck, Darren Barker, and Ari Daniel Shapiro. The podcast is produced by Rose Evelith. Additional help from Brooke Williams, Lena Groger, and Justin D'Ambrosio. The theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to Union Hall for hosting the show and to Paisley for not always being scary. Thanks for listening.